0: I'm really excited about this episode today. We got Serge here for all the way from Australia joining us. Hey, Serge, how's it going? Great. How
1: are you?
0: I'm doing great. Hey,
1: whatever,
0: whatever, whatever you want to do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hey, Serge, uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your time. People that don't know who you are. Do you mind giving us a little uh, introduction?
1: Sure. Um, so my name is Serge C. I'm out of Melbourne, Australia. And I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Locomate in Australia. Um, I think for your audience, that might be translated into traveling or relief pharmacists um, in in the U.S. And essentially, we've built a product to try to bring that to the modern ages, should I say?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a great product, uh, and we can get into it uh, a little later. But we were having this uh, really interesting conversation right when we were starting it was about continuous and discontinuous innovations and kind of how you guys got to where you got to. And I'd love to, I, I, I kind of I told us to stop because I was like, man, this is too good. We need to start recording. So uh, can you kind of go into that, the innovation side, how you guys got to where you got to?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, looking at the, the problem that we had, you know, my co-founder, my wife, Kavita, um, is the pharmacist. Uh, she runs a, and owns a pharmacy here in Australia. And she was the one that was experiencing the problem of engaging locums in our terms. Right. And for her, it was like, Oh, these are the process that we follow. We, we send an email or a template to an agency, then they go and find someone then they someone turns up to your door. You don't really have too much communication in between high costs, no transparency, no real process for feedback either. Um, so I looked at this end process, and she's like, can we just make that quicker um, and, and you know, more, more in today's language? And, and looking at that, we sort of set out the process of defining what the process looked like, interviewing our two sets of users, and then presenting that to the industry. And, you know, we had good feedback, bad feedback. Um, and then the bad feedback, that would never work because we don't work that way, right? Um, and it allowed me to reflect, you know, a year down the track, why did we get two sets of feedback? Um, And looking at that, I wrote an article on it, and it was along the lines of, you know, if you look at innovation just generally, uh, not necessarily in healthcare, but in industry agnostic, you have what we, you know, the term referred to as discontinuous innovation. And we were just having a chat earlier. It's that that is really relevant to healthcare today. Because healthcare, I mean, faxes are still used, right?
0: Yeah, man. A little part of me dies every time I have to use a fax or read a fax.
1: And so to bring in a new breed of innovation into an industry that's been sort of set in a certain way is actually referred to as discontinuous innovation. Now, what discontinuous innovation essentially means is that you have to change your behavior and the way you work to adopt this technology or the new way of working. And this is where in lies the problem because healthcare has always been like, we're too busy, it's too hard, we don't want to change the way we work. So they've been having incremental innovations in the same way of doing things. Um, so the issue is how do you get more and more people to actually embrace change because to embrace change in healthcare you will actually have to change the way you do things
0: yeah i mean uh, that is the million dollar question right i think that um i mean just working in healthcare if people are really 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 i i don't think it's a healthcare problem i just think it's a general person problem but i think in healthcare it's more magnified because we have so many processes that are so archaic. Um, You know, you mentioned the fax machine. Um, I think the people that know me know that (laughs) how much I hate faxes and fax machines. I mean, I wrote an article on trying to get rid of them altogether. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, how did you, how do you think would be the best way? I think for, I think for us, it's like, there's just a lack of trust. I think that's one of the problems with uh, changing your behavior because there's a lack of trust. I don't know what you, what do you think?
1: Um, so, so this is this is the theme, right? So, have you uh, ever looked at the um, the adoption curve?
0: Is it the one where it uh, you have like your like the hype? It's kind of like the hype cycle where it goes really high. So you
1: got your, you've got your <laughs> mm-hmm. you got your innovators, early adopters, then you got the early majority, late majority, and laggards. Yeah, right. And the whole concept of, of that is when you release something new, you'll have the um, the innovators that are, that just want it, right? They're, yeah. uh, um, they're the people that will support something new all the way through.
0: Yeah. And
1: then you've got, um, the, you know, the, the, every time there's a new iPhone release, you've got people waiting in line. <laughs> they just want to be the early adopters. That's, it's new and shiny that want it, right? But you still don't have majority of the market or the industry... In that segment,
0: yeah, yeah, you just have like your fanboys. You works. Yep.
1: You have to prove that it works, that it's actually going to make people's lives easier with whatever you're doing to get the early majority, and then the late majority is. So they look for proof points, right? That this actually works. You can back it up uh, before they come on board, and then you've got the the, the laggards, right? Uh, who will only join when they really have to. If they have a choice, they will never touch it. Um, in um, my previous role, we used to have customers that would never upgrade their, their technology stack because they're like, it's not, it's not broken, right? Why would we change it if it's not broken? Whereas the other, one, the other set of customers, you're like, when a new release comes out, they're always on it because they want to be innovative, even if it helps the business a small percentage, they'll be on top of it. But the other ones, no, not broken, don't fix it, right? So you're always going to have that set of customers. Now, if you were to lay industries on the same bell curve, right, healthcare is towards the end of that cycle uh, in terms of adoption of new innovation, even um, looking at adoption of cloud technology, like cloud applications. I remember Covey, uh, my co-founder, saying that, oh, we're about to go to a cloud dispensing software. And I'm like, hang on, this is 2017, 2018. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's pretty funny.
1: That was was my introduction to uh, just pharmacy and healthcare technology initially, right? Like it is a little bit further behind than mainstream uh, industries. Um, Even if we look at the space that we're working with, which is people, workforce and whatnot, there is a gap in terms of where coming from the corporate side, which is where I've, I've worked, enterprises, It's about a 10 to 15 year gap even in in that side of technology as well. Um, And it it comes in cycles, right? It's been now tried and trusted in other industries. It will slowly make its way out into healthcare and now healthcare requires that adoption. The early innovators, the early adopters to to go through that cycle in its own entity.
0: I think that that's where healthcare... has an issue because we are very I think individually we might be like the early adopters but collectively we're so risk averse because we have a patient population and we're dealing with people's lives and I think that stops people from being those early adopters and I think that's why healthcare lags and I don't really have a good idea outside of maybe having a, a core of hospital systems or clinic clinics that are those early adopters that are filled with people, individuals that are not as risk averse, but I don't know. What do you think? How do we get around that mindset in healthcare?
1: So it's interesting because I've worked with banks as customers before and banking is also one of the areas that, you know, if you look at 10, 15 years ago, it was a bit slow in terms of adoption of innovation. And what I saw th- that they did, and it actually made a lot of sense, and I've seen that replicated across a number of industries since then, is they put in teams that were responsible for innovation. How do we do things better? Like a, you pick people from different divisions that come together and discuss, you know, what can we address that could actually make us, make it easier for us to adopt new things, better way of doing things, And then you've got the internal brains who know your processes, how the processes work, actually having input into what could be improved. Now, that doesn't mean you go and build it, right? It just means, okay, you know, you identify a process that could be improved. Then you look externally to providers that could help with that, right? Now, you know, to your point, patient care is key in healthcare environment. So disruptive technology is difficult to bring in if it's going to impact your operations.
0: Yeah, and I actually really like that idea. I think there's <clears throat> there's a couple of facilities or hospitals that are kind of, they have innovation teams. I've talked to, um, I mean, I've read about those hospitals. I've talked to uh, people in insurance companies where they had innovation teams or like an innovation division, innovation team that kind of was let loose, did what they wanted to do um, in like their own little environment. And then, and then once they were able to create some sort of ROI or some sort of use case for it, then it would get pushed out to production. Um, I think that's an interesting idea. I think there's not any, too many hospitals that even have like um, digital, like there's some, there's like chief digital health officers are starting to show up. I think that we're going to, where am I, where am I going with this? I think that first we need to have set up like an infrastructure for innovation in hospitals. But I think that like, to your point, we need, we need a group of people. It's just a matter of finding these group of people and creating this innovation. I, and then it's hard because, like I said, there's not even like chief digital ho- chief digital officer in some of these hospitals. Like how how would you kind of go about it?
1: Well, you're almost appointing a pseudo digital officer with one of your current employees, right, who shows that that's an area that they're interested in um, to actually get the ball rolling. Um, one of the, the key differences, uh, so, uh, you could have a team who serve that purpose because they have no power. They can't implement anything. So Sometimes people put in a team, but it's actually not going to serve a purpose. And then you have to be able to give them enough power to be able to make change and make decisions. Um, I like your point. You know, yes, you they have to prove that there's ROIs in place and whatnot. And what they need to pick off is not your core systems, right? Because if you if that's the first thing you look at, go, we need to replace our core system with something more modern. I mean, that's in a IT sense a heart transplant to rip out the heart of your your, your ecosystem of, you know, the, the entire infrastructure, that is scary.
0: Very scary, yeah.
1: You would only ever do that if you were guaranteed outcomes, right? So you wouldn't try, and this is where the late majority come in. You would not touch an, a, 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 that core system in the innovative or early adopter phase, right? because it's just so critical to your environment. So you would touch all the auxiliary systems that sit on the site. That's... Help step by step, right?
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, I think that that's a really good way of going about it because you're kind of slowly bringing people into change and kind of introducing them to, you know, kind of getting quick wins, like, you know, grabbing that lowest hanging fruit, getting, getting those quick wins, getting the trust of the team, and then slowly... I don't know if infiltrate is the right word, but slowly infiltrating the other systems, the main core systems.
1: Well, so, but you're introducing innovation, right? And getting people used to innovative ways of doing things, not just systems, but processes, internal process, and changing personal behavior. So if you make something that's um, like the, the, the core system, which is... It's, it's going to be difficult no matter what you do, right? Um, and then you need to change manage as well. People... Sometimes don't appreciate how hard change management is. Mm. The first hand with with Locomate, like we've, we've tried to make the user experience literally a few clicks, right? But in an environment where it's new, your you know early innovator can pick it up and use it, no worries. But there's a quite a few that uh, of our users that needed the phone call or an instruction booklet. To be able to walk them step by step. Now, our system is not a core system in a in a in a um health, healthcare environment, right? We're not the core application that deals with patient data uh, or stock data or anything like that. So you can afford to to implement a change like that and then see how it goes. But when it's the core system, then change management becomes really really important. And if that's the first thing you do as an organization, that is really difficult if people aren't used to change, right? It's a small, like like you said, low-hanging fruit would make a huge difference to the appetite of an organization, a hospital, to be able to get used to change before they do everything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, working in a hospital my whole career, um, that culture of innovation really doesn't exist. Either it's because um, people are scared or it was just in some cases there were people that came in wide-eyed but you know bushy-tailed like really wanted to change things and then they ran into the healthcare bureaucracy buzzsaw um, and I agree with you I think that more hospitals need these change agents and need to create a culture of innovation there's there's some interesting things out there Um, you know our hospital there are a couple of hospitals that try like well they'll have like um kind of like different times of the year where they're taking suggestions from everyone and I think that's a cool way of doing it but the only problem with that is if you don't act on any of the things or tell people why you're not acting on it. It's it's not even that you don't act on it. It's telling people why you're not acting on it and letting people inside and being transparent. And I think that's where a lot of people fail. A lot of these innovation, quote unquote, innovation um, things fail is because they don't tell why they're not doing something. Um, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, man, it's healthcare is really far behind on that side
1: it goes to change management, right? That conversation about why you do certain things or don't do certain things, right? Um, and then the, the, the more open communication there is, the better for everyone. I mean, like, if I rewind to 2008, 2008, I was working for an e-recruitment company, right? So they did applicant tracking software. And it's about how people apply for jobs. You know, if you get a 100... Thousand applicants, how you deal with that automatically, right? To, to take them through different processes of interviews, offers, and whatnot. So, really, a lot of transparency, which used to be manual. You used, people used to print out the resume and go, okay, this one here, that one there, automating that, literally getting rid of all paper trap. And we were successful in a company, I won't name the company, uh, but so we went and the first meeting about how do we implement this software, right? And people were sitting in that room who were the actual users with their arms crossed. They did not want to embrace this change, right? And the reason, as, as we found out, I went through the conversations months and months later was, so they were responsible for printing and they were responsible for moving from one desk to another in terms of process. So they were scared that they will no longer be required in their roles. Or their roles won't be as important as they were because the software is taking over. Back to your point about being scared, that's it's a, a big one, and that, that that has a lot to do with education. It's it's not that your role's getting replaced, and this is communication from management to the people doing the work is how you're going to be upskilled and reutilized in that environment, so you're now being more efficient and actually having more time to do the patient care side of things, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh that there's a story that comes to mind. We had a <clears throat> I'm not gonna get too deep into it, but there was a position in the pharmacy that I was like, hey, we can do X we can just do X, Y, and Z and we could theoretically just not get rid of the position, but like take that position and redirect it to other patient care things and, you know, other other things that would be really helpful for what we need. And the person that was working that position caught wind of this and was Uh, pissed. I mean, it's to say the least, right? And I wasn't trying to like get rid of, sorry, I wasn't trying to get rid of their job. I was just saying, hey, you could be utilized somewhere else that's more efficient and also more, it's going to help the department and it's also going to help the patients. And like, to your point, they were like, nope, that's not what I want to do because they were afraid that we were trying to push them out and fire them. And that was like the furthest thing from the truth. And, you know, looking back at it, could we have approached it differently? 100%. Do I think it would have made a difference uh, with that person? Probably not. But I mean, it, it is what it is. Like you have to deal with people the way. But it was. It, it's really interesting when you say that. It's so true.
1: I've also been in a, um, a, a, a. This was a bit more recent because the organization was a bit larger, and education, right? And we sat in that in that meeting, and everyone in the in the room was, uh oh, your software does it this way. We don't do it that way." We don't do it that way today. We don't do it. So we need your software to do it this way. Not the new way, the old way, right? So you're just automating an old process the same way. So you're not getting. And I remember the they had a, uh, a transformation lead person uh, who was responsible for overseeing the implementation of this new piece of software uh, in my previous role. And she just said, if I hear another person say, we don't do it this way, You're not going to be involved in this project. What we want is new way of doing things because the current way of doing things used to serve a purpose, but they no longer do. And just that comment, like it wasn't telling an individual off. It was just stating this is what we're about and this is what we want to achieve. It completely fundamentally changed the rest of that meeting and the, the meetings that came after about how we implement because now people went from we don't do it that way to how about we do it this way to make it even better. Now people are changing processes in their minds, and the software is just supporting right, software and automation is there to support, not to replace, right? And and people need to, to view that.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, because I mean, I mean, there are. I mean that's a that's an awesome thing that that person did. I think that that's one thing that I, I get frustrated with healthcare in general. Like uh, I'll tell people like the reason why I like to talk to technologists is when you come up with a really crazy idea, they'll be like, "Hmm, uh, I don't know if that'll work, but you know what? Let's look into it." And then when you come up with a crazy idea and tell like people like me or uh, you know people in healthcare, like, "Yeah, that's not going to work. We're going to get sued. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. It's like with, without even trying it, um, because it's a new way of approaching, it, a new way of thinking, it, it's completely outside of what they've. What they can imagine and it's just like in the beginning it's just no
1: yeah and and you know as, as we went through the building process of locomate i got that a lot in, in initially oh that's not gonna work okay why will it not work you know and they give you the reasons like, okay so what if it did it this way oh yeah that'll work and then we're just rewording the same thing just in a different way. Um, to get acceptance right Um, so sometimes the delivery is also important um, to the audience so one thing I learned very quickly was the what I learned in previous roles that delivery doesn't quite work in healthcare because purely because of the way technology has previously been adopted and um, how people look at things right there's a bit more risk averse and fair enough as well so it's about how do you make it so it's Adoption of new things, but it's going to limit the risk capability as well, uh, risk appetite for customers, because I I think that's another important factor when you look at healthcare. And like you you sort of mentioned, oh, we're going to get sued, right? I mean, that's a a real thing. Um, So how do you protect against it? How do you safeguard against it? Um, One of the things we had was people like, oh, what if the person is not a pharmacist who's coming in to do the shift because we're getting them off an app? right? So I said, well, what's the difference of someone coming in via an agency? Oh, uh, I'm pretty sure they validate. I'm like, so do we. Like there's a person behind the app who validates a person's identity, right? Uh, So some of those misinformation that they have um, about technology that, oh, there's no one involved, there's no people, so therefore we're open to a lot more risk. I was like, no, hang on. The, the, The software plays a part there's still people involved in the process to make sure that, you know, we don't have a, a Terminator situation, right? Running, is making up its own mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you brought up there, I think is amazing, uh, is like, you know, creating a parallel between what the current workflow is and what the new workflow is. And it's just like, it's the same thing. It's just that we're replacing some things with automation that's going to make it quicker and faster for you and more, and in the end, cheaper, right? And that's, that's the biggest thing with software, right? You want to, End up getting to a point where it's cheaper and and just more efficient. So you can you can deploy your staff in different resources, different ways.
1: There was a um, a what's it was? oh there we go. Sorry, I, was, I remember sitting in a workshop and, and this philosophy of design thinking. Have you ever been?
0: <laughs> yeah, design thinking is uh, actually. I just talked to somebody. I just recorded an episode with somebody, and we were talking about design thinking. Uh, yeah man, design thinking is pretty good in, um it doesn't really exist in healthcare but there is there are some people that are trying to bring it into healthcare and I think it's it would be amazing if we could.
1: Yeah, I, I think that process for healthcare would help step it out, just like you described right, like in parallel, what does it look like, what's it going to change, because design thinking sort of helps do that and help visualize those processes and as you're doing it, uh, you know, if you had those innovation teams and you're doing design you'd be able to identify processes that can be um, that can be enhanced or fixed or automated or whatever the you know the thing is because it, it doesn't always have to be technology either right the solution doesn't always have to be technology and people sometimes forget that um, just a change in the way of working can improve and, and make process more efficient um, and then software just takes it to another level
0: yeah I, I i mean for sure i mean i think the thing that design thinking i think it does good does good is it it creates a framework for change, um even though it's like when you when you look at it and you really look at the steps it's like duh, but it's so funny that it's it's so simple, but so many people miss like the first step you know which is empathy and really understanding the problem and understanding the people <clears throat> and like there's other parts to it right i mean but uh it's I think that it's something that should be taught and to you know, in school, right? Like, hey, this is how you, this is how you, because as a healthcare professional, we are literally using, whether we know it or not, we're usually literally going through that pathway in our head while we're diagnosing or while we're treating somebody. Um, And it's just something that we just need to take that mind frame and just move it to other problems outside of the patient care world.
1: I think um, the last two, three years have actually helped change the mind frame about how we utilize technology um, and you've got the uh, the new wave of uh, young healthcare workers, right, who are coming into the industry and because they're so used to technology and they're coming into um, the workforce and they're like, I don't like this because you don't use technology, <laughs> right? So we're actually losing people because – I don't see it as a, a field, uh, an industry that's actually adopting technology at the pace it should. Now, having been in the, in the startup lane, I've seen a lot of companies um, and even the, you know, I went to the conference in, in the US and, and meeting a lot of the up-and-coming um, innovative companies in software within healthcare, pharmacy. And I looked at the technology and I, and I got really excited by it. I'm like, wow, you're about to really disrupt this field. But the adoption rate is very low for them, right? Because of they, they hit this wall, this barrier um, to, to to market. So you almost need these um, the the innovative teams to champion some of these innovations through um, either hospitals or community based or membership based organisations. Because there's there's a lot of good stuff out there that can help today. And that I think that's that's one of the bigger things is people always think oh. We need to go build it. It's actually, no, because you haven't been open to it. You haven't embraced what exists today either.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. There's a lot of amazing things that are being built out there. And it's sad to, I mean, I shouldn't say, yeah, it is sad to see that, you know, the adoption is low and, you know, you kind of, I mean, I was talking to somebody who is, you know, like super, like, I mean, he's a genius and he's really humble really like really wanted to help out and i was talking to him and he was like yeah man this is really frustrating how do you how do we get into hospitals like this is just they're not getting it like you know and then i was telling him like yeah man um don't get don't get don't beat yourself up i mean google amazon microsoft they're all trying they're all getting humbled one thing about healthcare is it really humbles you as an entrepreneur or as a as a quote even an innovator right i mean you you can come in from different Areas where it's really easy—not shouldn't say easy, but it's easier to innovate—and you come in here thinking you can do the same thing in healthcare, and healthcare has a way of chewing you up and spitting you out. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's what I was trying to tell them: like, hey, just keep at it, and you know, eventually the cream will rise to the top.
1: Uh, one of the things that I found um with, with our process was that you know we we, we talked about that innovators early adopters, early majority. If you can identify, in your example, a hospital that's an innovator, right? So not people within a hospital, but an actual hospital that likes to innovate, um, then that could be a good sort of ground zero for this whatever your friend's building, right? Because what I found... At the moment, is we've had the biggest success uh, from our side is when we've actually partnered with organisations that were like we we want to we want to be at the front, right? And by working with them, you actually help make the software better because whatever you build day one is not the finished product. In fact, it's probably not even five percent of what the finished product would be in years to come, right? So when you go to a a hospital that's in the laggard or late majority, they'll look at your product and go, it doesn't do everything we need, right? It doesn't tick all the boxes for us. So we won't even look at it. And all of a sudden, if you're talking to the wrong customer, then you're going to be disenchanted because you're like, oh, what I've built is not right for the market. But if you talk to the right customer who's happy with the 5% that's there today because they can share the vision with you, then guess what? They become your case studies. They support you to get to 10, 15, 20%. And then all of a sudden, you get the next hospital on board because you've achieved so much in a shorter period of time. Um, and then, you know, if, if I follow the Locomate journey, if I look at the product to where it was just a tick over 12 months ago, it's literally like five, six screens. And we had customers that are saying, we want to go on this journey with you, right? The right customer. We spoke to some other potential customers. They're like, no, you don't do everything we need you to do, so come back to us when you do. Right now, at that stage, we go, oh, no, this is too hard. We're going to have to do another two years of dev before we even get a customer. It's like, no, you find the right customer for you. And and, and, and oh, sorry, I shouldn't even use the word customer. I should use the word partner because they're more partners than customers day one because they will help you through what the industry needs. Um, And and they will open your eyes to things that you haven't thought about because they'll ask you a question. You're like, huh, in all my user research, I didn't uncover that one, but because that's a real world problem that only comes up when someone's using the software rather than when you're thinking about building the software.
0: Yeah, no, I I love the, the mind shift of partner versus customer because when the partnership, because they almost have ownership of the product as well, right? Like they're, because then they they want it to succeed right you're here like we're we're walking in this together there's a little bit of them inside and they uh hopefully you know if it's a good partnership they'll they'll want to keep it going and then they can they can use that as their badge like hey we got this up and going but one thing that startups always uh you know the dreaded p word pilot <laughs> you know how how do you deal with that like when you're approaching even like these early innovators um and you know, early adopter, hospital, clinic type thing, how do you approach that, you know, hey, can we just run a pilot? And as we know, healthcare cycles can be a little long. The pilots can take a while. Like, how do you navigate that part of it?
1: That's a, that's a tricky, uh, that's not a tricky one because uh, proof of concept, right? Uh, and so we, we did one with LocoVet in October last year. And that was for us to prove that the process end-to-end would work, right? So we didn't onboard the entire customer base. It was a select, right? So if we, if we I do that in terms of a hospital, so we worked with a pharmacy group, right? And we took on board not all of their pharmacies, just three or four. We knew they were going to be part of the proof of concept. And then we took the pharmacist, the, the locums, Once again, only a handful, right? Because you want to make it as small as possible because if your proof of concept is as big as the actual implementation, it's going to take a long time. So the whole point of the proof of concept is not to say, can you implement version one of the whole scale? You're trying to prove that what your process or your application is meant to do is going to do what it does, right? So we, we took two or three stores, handful of locums, put them through the process, and then we'd get the call saying, oh, it'd be good if you could do this. It'd be good if you could do that, right? And, oh, I love this. I really like. I really love this, right? So I'm like, okay, so tick, 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 the question mark on this process. Well, what does that mean if we didn't have that day one? Is it a showstopper, right? Is it really as a bigger deal as the user thinks it is, right? So this is is where you can make those decisions and, and go, okay, so, for us, um, things uh, the example I would use is group manager view, right? So, one person who wants oversight of every pharmacy in a group. I'm like, okay, I don't have that day one. wasn't a priority. I just wanted the pharmacies to be able to log in and create a, a shift. And so, uh, you know, we did the proof of concept. We're like, oh, that would be awesome to have because that gives us more visibility at head office level. I'm like, okay, feature doesn't exist. It's going to take a while to build. How about I generate a report for you? Without so that's a backend function doesn't impact the users. You just get a report on a weekly, fortnightly, or monthly basis with the insights that you're after. Oh, okay, that will work. Right, move on. First objection handled in in a sense, right? And now you, the next customer we talked to, they also want a group feature. They also want like okay, so group feature was going to be eighteen months away. We're going to have to pull that forward because there's enough of a ask for it, right? So this is where your backlog of the roadmap items change, chop and change because your customers are telling you, right? Um, so that's helped us a lot. And in the proof of concept, you can also come up with ways to to navigate things that are, oh, okay, that'd be nice to have, it just doesn't exist today. What's a good workaround, right? And obviously the, uh, the partner at that stage has to be open to that workaround. I had some early uh, customer meetings where they're like, no, unless you have that feature, we will not use you. So at that stage, we're like, okay, we'll come back to you when we do build it. You're not the right partner for us right now because we can't service what you do. If we did, then we'd have to develop all of these things, which is going to hold up the release of our product anyway. Right? So it's about finding the right balance and fit that once again, the organization is a good fit for what you're trying to do and you work in partnership
0: to make the product better man uh that that right there people is like a master class in like product management just just in general like how to deal with i mean that was amazing that was an amazing answer um how i'm just curious how long was that pilot uh
1: about six weeks uh, we, we we wanted to test it week to week the feedback we got some of the changes we were able to implement on the go um, but it, it was about four to six weeks just to, for us to feel comfortable, because there's, there's two things, right? There was one, that the product works. Two, there's still people behind the business, there's still operations, right? Uh, if someone calls and needs help, or, uh, you know, with an issue, or how do I use this, or how do, where do I click to do this, to find out that we can actually support it from an organization perspective as well. Uh, for example, you know, your friend that you, you've got a, a product that wants to get in the hospital. Imagine if a hospital says yes and let's implement tomorrow. Has he got the operations tomorrow to build to support? Bugs coming through, support tickets and all of that, right? Um, so part of that six weeks, I'm like, oh, I need a uh, a CRM system that's going to be able to log a lot of this stuff. Oh, I need a ticketing system so we can track cases. You know, So that actually helped us fine-tune our back-end process as well so we've become more efficient rather than relying on emails. So, that was also a proof of concept for us, not just a product, but the support that as a business. Because imagine signing up a big hospital, getting the software in, and then your support them, your customer service can't keep up with what's required from a hospital. You lose that partner quite quickly because you can't support them in the long run, right? So, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. So, that four to six weeks allowed us to get a good grasp. And then we went live.
0: How was, how, uh, when you hit that, when you went, guys went live, like what was the feeling that you guys were feeling at that time?
1: Um, at that stage, it was quite terrifying, to be quite honest. <laughs> Excitement and terror, because you've been in a controlled environment. Uh, so you've had control over every aspect of perception externally. And then we launched with the partner day one, but we also opened up the rest of the market. And it was, you know, the day we rang the bell, you know, go live, yay! And then, I, you know, what in the world have I done? <laughs> it's it's that the nervousness about okay, so now we're outside the control zone. What are people going to say? What's the perception in the market, and all of that stuff, right? Because we set up a marketplace, so it, we don't implement for one customer specifically. Anyone can log in and actually use the product. Um, so the the first month to two months was just getting used to being able to handle customer questions coming in, lots of feedback. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. Right. It's like, okay, yep. Yeah. How do we prioritize some of this? Because some of those were really, really good points. Right. Um, and so for us, this it's still a period of settling in for the first few months. And then we sort of started hitting our straps as more and more requests came in, more and more customers coming in, um, signing up and, you know, we're, we're, we're at a point where, you know, we've got a tick over 8% of the, the pharmacies in Australia signed up to the platform. And for us, you know, that was a huge milestone because we thought that would take us years to to to, to get to that level of at least people signing up and seeing what this new thing is about, right? Um, and, and now we've, we're on the other side where we've got, you know, we're seeing ads for other revolutionary um Locomaps, apparently, they're innovating in a field that's never been innovated in before, right? So you're going to have that as well, So, and which is obviously a, a good thing for us because people see that there's a market, there's a need and, and whatnot. But we enter our next phase, right? You don't rest on your laurels. And this takes me from actually good, good circling point from the disruptive innovation, new way of doing things, to continuous innovation. Because... What the product was at the start of this year in Jan is completely changed to what it is today. We just did a major release um, two weeks ago with all these new features, and we've got two or three major releases lined up for January, Feb, and March, right? So the continuous innovation piece is there forever because if you don't continually innovate, then, hang on, so there was a, there's a... Um, I think it was Jack Welch, his um, quote, if the rate of change... I think it's the rate of change, if it's greater on the outside than inside the organisation, the end is near. So this is why you see a lot of companies (coughs) who are too big and not innovating internally get overtaken by companies from outside, right? So because we've innovated in a field in, in Australia where something didn't exist we can't stop because if we stop someone will come and go oh they didn't do this this and this let's do that because that stopped right so we have to keep identifying new things that we're going to benefit our partners and customers and keep building those things right so one of the, 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 the the process that I follow is regular contact with our customer base and our partners and actually bounce ideas off them to say hey we're thinking of doing this and they're like, oh, that'd be great. But will it do this? I didn't think of that. Yeah, okay. So, because we're sort of in a closed box in a sense of what problems we see because they're, they're the ones that people call us about, right? And then we look at what's happening in industry, regulatory requirements. And then you translate to what happens on the floor day to day, how they actually do their job. And that sort of closes the circle of what ne- what is needed by everyone, right? Uh, and then you take all those elements and then you deliver something for your your customers. So, you know, one of the other things is you almost sell your product before it's built.
0: So what do you mean by that? Selling your product, like physically, like take like payment for it or sell it in the sense that you approach them and kind of tell them about the idea and get them excited and tell them like, okay, we got something in the next couple of weeks. You
1: okay, so so no one's ever going to pay you, especially in healthcare. <laughs> um, but they will, uh, the, the commitment that we got is we will use that if you build it, okay? Right, so that is idea validation, right? All, people always say validate your idea before you build something, right? So you may go and talk to some people to go, Oh, that's a great idea, that would work but they're not your customers. They're never going to use it. So if you can get a validation from your actual customers and partners, actually, if you had that, we would 100% use it. They're already a customer today and they've committed to using that additional things that you're building in the future, then you're validating and you're selling before it's built, right? And then what happens is your version one, your proof of concept of that feature or product, they'll
0: give you feedback on oh okay that, that makes yeah that makes sense um so you're basically saying go to your existing customers about new features you want to build and then if they're saying yeah because they're already paying you right they're already part of it they're already happy with it and if they're telling you like oh man yeah we will definitely do it then that's a great sign for you because then you're not really wasting your money trying to convince somebody to buy your product you're they're already in your ecosystem okay that makes a lot more sense yeah that's and that's kind of going back to design thinking, right? The first step of design thinking is empathizing with 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 the person or the people that are actually doing it. So you're basically doing that is going back, talking to the customer, understanding their problem, understanding how to solve it, and having them kind of tell you how to solve it. Exactly, exactly.
1: But even you know, if we rewind back to before we did the proof of concept, before we went live, before we had our first paying customer, I had the screenshots design of what the app would look like, and I presented that to the early um, pharmacy groups and said, you know, we're, we're building this, but it's in screenshot format. You click through and we started getting feedback then. if Well, we'll definitely sign up if you have this built, right? So there were the early uh, the, the innovators, the early adopters that were willing to try this, but they validated what we're building at that stage through screenshots. So before a line of code was written, we had commitment from pharmacy groups saying that that would use the product.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can, I mean, I can see like why you're successful. I think you're, I mean, you're literally doing what everyone should be doing and kind of what you read in books and stuff. But everyone's like, oh no, that's never going to work. That's just never going to work. And and you're living proof that it does work and that's the right way of doing it. Because you I mean you could have spent you know a year in by yourself developing, writing all this code, paying all these devs. Uh, a lot of money and then come out and be like hey here's a here's an app uh, why don't you use it and then with everything right it, it, people are gonna be like well does it do this this or this and you're and you, at that point you're you have like this imminent doom like oh and then you're kind of forcing your idea onto them because you have so much in it right you have so much money heart whatever in it and now you're forcing it on them and I think that's where a lot of people fail is because they're trying to force an idea that they came up with versus kind of what you said coming up with screenshots, coming up with an MVP, like a click-through MVP that doesn't take too long to make, like a wireframe, and having them kind of tell you at that point.
1: And at that stage, all you're changing is screenshots, right? Yep. <laughs> Much cheaper to do. Um, and when you get buying um, at that stage, then people feel like they've been part of the journey of the product coming to life. And then all of a sudden, when we do start coding, guess what? I'll give demonstrations of what progress we've made to the same set of people, and they see their vision essentially coming to life as well. Um, and then, when you work that closely with with people in the industry, then they feel part of your your, your journey, right?
0: One hundred percent. And I think that people like I think everyone likes to build something, right? Like even though they don't physically want to build it, but if they can tell somebody else to do it, and they see it kind of morphing and coming into its own, I think that's really powerful. And you know, kind of to your point. They, they're kind of you know going back to the partnership they're they're part of the product right even though they're not they don't they might not have a stake in it or are invested in it they're like, they feel like they're part of it and when it's out and successful, they feel like they're successful too because they were one of the early people. I mean that's just like the mindset of the early adopters in general right
1: and, and, and they get a unique competitive advantage by adopting early as well. So you know your early adopters uh, they see innovation as a competitive edge. Rather than a hindrance.
0: So yeah, how do you? So how do you pivot from the early adopters, you know, like kind of like the people that are really excited about it, to the late adopters? Like how, how, how do you make that? I mean, I know it's not an easy question to answer. It's not something that you can just answer like that. But how do you make that transition, or how do you think that transition should be made?
1: Um, actually, we're in the process of it right now. Um, so you look at. The early adopters, they've, they've given us all these ideas, how the product can build, but most importantly, they've given me proof points and case studies, right? Because the late adopters, the late majority, they don't care about it's cool and shiny, right? But what do they care about is, hey, did you know by using our product, our customers have saved half a million dollars in fees in the last six months? that yeah. impacts their bottom line, right? So now they're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, did you know that we actually collect feedback data on both sets of users that allows us to continually improve that feedback loop and provide better healthcare outcomes to your customers as a result? Oh, now 12 months ago, that's a dream, right? Yeah. yeah you hope to achieve that, but there's no proof you will achieve that. So why would we waste our time working with that and? you know, dedicating too much energy and resources. Fast forward 12 months and like, I've got all the data points. So now um, I've got actual proof points that I can have a conversation with the, and and this is just a mindset with in any industry, not just healthcare, every industry has this. You need your proof points where you've actually delivered on those outcomes that you were hoping to deliver on for your early uh, majority and late majority to actually adopt. The late, the, 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 the laggard's, We will have to drag them kicking and screaming, right? (laughs) So it's not even a focus for us right now because you're like, they will never change unless they really have to, right? Um, So for us, it's the focus of the middle band now. Uh, Nice, we've got 8% of the market that want to be early. You know, that's great. The the rest of the market, how do we get scale, right? Because scale helps us get a bigger talent marketplace in in, 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 um, both sides, pharmacies and then and pharmacists, that helps the industry, right? But the middle piece won't come in unless you can say actually, it's not just new and shiny anymore, right? It's been delivering results, and these are the results that we're delivering. Um, so for us, we—it's funny you ask that question. We're transitioning into that now. I'm actually creating um, proof points, use cases that we've delivered for our current customer base, and using that as the the trigger to say, hey. These are the outcomes that we've you know achieved for our current set of customers. Is this of interest, right? And it's not always just about oh, we just want the latest app. It's about delivering those savings. I mean, like if you think about pharmacy, community pharmacy, the margins are very low.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Especially competing against a lot of the, the, the you know the larger chains and discount brands. So if you're saving and and our sample size is only, you know, six months, half a million dollars amongst our customer base. That's a lot of money.
0: That's a I mean that's a very substantial amount. I mean that's basically paying for in some cases, more than half your staff or all of your staff. You're you're saving basically your your staffing now is free. Like you have literally paid for your staff by using your app for that six months.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So this is you know the the mind shift that the industry that we we're trying to get into because before that they're like, oh yeah, you know, you're not gonna fill shifts, you're not gonna do this, you're not gonna be able to find the people to fill shifts because there's a shortage happening and whatnot, right? So in the state that we launched in Victoria, our fill rate is above
0: 90%. Wow.
1: And once again, people are like you'd be lucky to fill 20% of your shifts. So proof point is there, I've got the data to back it, and, and the, you know, the best thing is. I've got the app so I can actually pull live data out of it and improve it instead of saying, Oh, we feel, you know, some, some agencies quote that they feel a hundred percent of their shifts. I'm like, based on what data point, right? Because we know that's not factual. No one feels a hundred percent of their shifts across the country because you're always competing against other options that feel shifts as well. Right? So, um, for us, it's, it's all about transparency. Um, with our with our customers, so with you know the, the groups that we work with, in close partnerships. I actually give them a, a, a report saying, "This was the fill rate. This is how much you save. This is the feedback actually of the locums that have been working in your pharmacies, and the feedback of your pharmacies as well." We've had to make a couple of you know phone calls to groups saying, "Hey, there's you know a pharmacy in your network that's getting really bad feedback. You need to fix that experience, right? Because that doesn't impact." Locum's coming in it's probably impacting the staff that work in your store today.
0: Yeah. I mean I mean that's kind of like I mean and then, and that's kind of a problem that you're solving that you didn't even think you weren't even going in, right? And then that's you know you can also use that be like hey we we have all these data points and we can present it to you. You know cuz everyone loves data, right? And that's you know to your point when you have the data, you can't dispute numbers. You can dispute feelings, you can dispute, you know, whatever anecdotal evidence, but you cannot dispute the numbers. And you know So, I mean, this, I mean, I think this is something that a lot of people deal with. How do you initially, you know, when you're first starting, how do you deal with the naysayers or the haters? As people like to say, like, how do you, like, how do you personally deal with it? I mean, I know how I deal with it. I mean, I kind of take the thing as like, hey, you know, there's always going to be people that are either, I just go in thinking, yes, I'm a little crazy, and I'm okay with that. And people can't always handle crazy, right? So I'm going to try to find, other people that are equally as crazy as me or crazier and we're going to just try to go together and then hopefully we can kind of not brute force it but we can come together and execute on what we're trying to do like how do you personally go through it like how do you how do you deal with that
1: yeah yeah you'll you'll definitely have a lot of naysayers like the first conference we were at i think the very first locum that came to our booth said i would never use this no locum would ever use this right that was the very first conversation and and At that stage, Covey and I looked at each other, and she's like, oh, no, we're getting bad feedback already. I'm like, no, just not our customer. Like, not our perfect fit for what we're trying to serve, right? We're not going to make 100% of the people happy. You're never going to have 100% market share in any way, shape, or form. No one ever does, right? So you focus in on the market share that you feel would actually use your technology, Right? And that's who you work with in day one, because if you're just try- if all you're trying to do is focus all your energy and effort into converting the naysayers, you're not focusing on servicing the customers that will actually use you. Yeah, right? so I remember very early on that the group, some of the groups we spoke to, they're like, nah, app, ah, nah, you need to do this." They're like, "Well, cool. you know, not our perfect customer right now. Maybe in two, three years, but not right now." You have to focus your energy and effort on winning and working with the customers that would actually use you. And I think that's where a lot of people, they try to go for the biggest fish in the sea. And actually that's not, that's not the one you should be going to because you could spend two years trying to convince someone to use your product when they're not, they were never a right fit day one for you. So actually identifying a good profile fit for your actual customers is also key
0: yeah I mean man I'm learning just i mean it just, just, just I'm loving this conversation personally I mean, this is amazing, and yeah, I mean that's the thing I think you know i uh, people always try to go for the big fish like right away, like they're trying to go for the big splash, and then they like you said, you're kind of forgetting your actual target market and you completely forget the customers that you should be going after and <clears throat> the people that will champion you and kind of keep you going up and forward and yeah man, I love that and that takes a lot of discipline honestly and it's not easy, but um, so to, to wrap this up, how, is there any advice you would have given yourself like standing today right here back to when you were starting? It was, you know, like I mean, obviously everyone makes mistakes or whatever, like just for the audience. Is there anything that you were like, man, I, sh- I wish I would have known this before?
1: So uh, the, the, the technology side, I was quite familiar with purely because of my background, right? the processes you need to follow. Um, one thing that I I wasn't aware of um and in healthcare is how important trust is in the brand right Uh, and building trust in that brand and trust trust in what you say to your to your customers within healthcare um so that was a personal learning for me coming from external to the healthcare industry um being new and we've spent quite a bit of time doing that so a lot of people try to go to customers but customers never heard of you in any way shape or form right um so one of the big ones for us was we went to an industry event where we had a booth so people could see who we were. In, in healthcare, people don't want to deal with an app or a software. They want to deal with people. And it's true in most in, in other industries as well, but more so in healthcare, I found that, you know, in, in other industries they will try an app, oh, go download it. In healthcare, they won't even go and download the app, right, unless they know who's built it or where it's come from. Um, so that's been one of the, the interesting learnings for me. Um, the other is actually, and it applies everywhere: be vulnerable to your customers. Ask for advice. Right? You don't always have to walk in and go. This is what you need to do. This is how it's done. It's like ask. It's it's almost like a consultative piece, right? Um, we're we're doing this in this way. What are your thoughts? industry um and the the sometimes you 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 get a a person in this who can be who's in a role that can act as an advisor a mentor and i think that's a that's a a great way to do it as well um or if you've got a a partner that you're working with you can you don't always have to think or say things that you think is 100 percent right or that's the way it's going to be you always allow room for change on your side um so flexibility is, I think, one of those elements that you need to have in your mind that we're building towards a vision rather than we're building this product. Because if I'm, you build towards the vision, things can change along the way, but you're still building towards the vision.
0: And I think that's a really great I think that's a really great way to kinda end this. I mean, Serge, so, so much i we're gonna have to, I'm gonna have if you're okay with it, I'm gonna have to have you back on in a couple of months. Uh maybe sometime mid next year to see kinda how you're Navigating the middle band, but um, is there how do people get a hold of you? How do people connect with you? What's the best place to connect with you?
1: Um, LinkedIn is probably best. Um, so search thing, S-U-R-G-E, S-I-N-G-H. Um, I love connecting with people and, and just, you know, I've had a lot of help along this journey. Um, a lot of people have provided great advice and whatnot. So I like to pay it forward. Um, so reach out if you have a question. Want to have a chat about what this journey looks like? I, you know, even if you're looking at building a prototype and what that process looks like and how to engage the right resources and whatnot, I'm happy to to have a chat and help.
0: Awesome, yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, honestly, serge uh, he's helped me out too, and I can speak from experience. An amazing guy, always willing to help. Um, thank you so much, serge I really appreciate your time, and I'll have all those links uh, in the show notes below. Uh, again, thank you so much. Um, and yeah have a great day man Uh, no problem thank you so much buddy all right bye